seated. Please join me at this time in the reading of our scripture from Ezra, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now, there's several names in here that might get twisted up just a little bit. I'll rely on Pastor Brian to uh, correct that later, so... When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Sarababel, son of Shealtiel, (laughs) I don't know what that is. We'll get an interpretation here shortly. And his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on. In in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord both the morning and evening sacrifices. Lord, let these words be your words. Hear our prayer this morning and use us for thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I love freedom. Living life without restraints being put things I don't want to do, be places I don't want to be. There's nothing like being free. But sometimes I take my freedom for granted. For instance, when you go see the doctor and your appointment's at 10 a.m., and you don't get through the first door till 10.40 a.m. Then you go through the first door, they put you in the second room, and the doctor's going around knocking on other people's doors, talking about their troubles and diagnosis and what needs to happen to them. And I'm thinking, would you please knock on my door, because now it's 11.15, and I'm stuck in this office. Finally, the doctor sees me, and the doctor says, Man, Brian, you got some real trouble. I need to send you to the lab. So I go to the lab, and I sign in, and I wait yet another 45 minutes to get my blood drawn or my x-ray, whatever the doctor prescribed. I get a call from the doctor, and the doctor says, Boy, your lab results were not so good, Brian. You've now become a walking doctor's appointment. On Monday, you got to see this doctor. On Tuesday, you got to see this doctor. And I'm running all around seeing the doctor for all these appointments. Then all of a sudden, the doctor calls me back and says, It's really bad now. you got to go to the hospital. So I go lay in the hospital bed. i got IVs in me. i got things in my nose, and... I'm just laying here in this bed, and anybody that's in the hospital probably doesn't like hospital food, and I'm wondering what I'm doing here, and uh, any good spouse to say, can I get anything for you? Yeah, a few donuts, some cookies, maybe a Big Mac. So the spouse goes out and gets what you're asking for, and it tastes good, and it's all right, but it's just not the same. So you leave the hospital, and the spouse says, where do you want to go today? Where can I take you? It doesn't matter if you're in pain, you can't see, you can't walk, you can't move. It's get me to a restaurant. I want to eat. And there, all of a sudden, the food is fantastic. The cook might have done a terrible job, but you don't care because you're free. In that moment of freedom, you're sitting right there doing what you want to do. 
I think it's also like that at work, especially on a Friday if you don't have to work weekends or you're about to go on vacation. Whatever your job is, you're sitting at a desk, you're working on the floor, you're always looking at the clock, and you're wondering, what's the first thing I'm going to do when I get off of work? The parts could be coming down the line and your helper saying, what are you doing? I'm thinking about when I get out of here and I get on that plane and I take my trip. What's the first thing I'm going to do? I will have freedom. I will be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And depending on how much money I got, I'm going to spend all my money on this vacation. When I come home, I won't have a dime left. It's going right out the window. I'm going to do what I want to do. Freedom. I wonder if this is what it felt like for the captives in the children of Israel, 42,360 people, when the king says, you are free to return to Jerusalem and worship God according to your conscience in the way you want to. I wonder what was going through their mind, what they was feeling about the opportunity to go home and worship God. Now, it might seem that if we've read the same scripture two weeks in a row, in the book of Haggai, who was a prophet, God used him to encourage the people and speak to the people of God about building the house of God. He said, don't worry about the enemy nations. They're not going to bother you. I'm the king of glory. He said, don't get discouraged. The house is not like you remember when you first built it. I'm the king of glory. I'll take care of that. He said, if you just change your mind and change your attitude and do the work, he promised that he would be with the people of God. But in the book of Ezra, God used Ezra in a historical sense. He laid out specifically what the children of Israel did when they returned home to build the temple. In Ezra uh, chapter 1, he talks about the king of Persia. He says the king set the people free and he went into the old uh, pagan god's temple and got all the gold and silver that they had stolen from the children of Israel. And he said, you take this with you on your trip back to build the altar of God. Chapter 2, Ezra talks about the numbering of the people. He put the people in tribes and families, and he says, not only did 42,360 people return, but he all, God also sent 7,337 slaves and 200 singers returned with the children to build the house of God. That's Ezra chapter 2, verses 64 and 65. Then in Ezra chapter 3, he talks about rebuilding the altar of God and the temple of God. And that's where I want to focus my attention at this morning. That God sent the people, and what's the first thing they did when they returned home and saw their land and saw the temple turned down? What's the first thing they did? Verse 2, they set up the altar. They built the altar of God. In the Old Testament, the altar means to slaughter. In the New Testament, the meaning of the altar is a place of sacrifice. The purpose of the altar was for a man or woman to meet with God and for God to meet with the man or woman. What kind of altars were built here before the tabernacle? There was the altar of worship. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20, Noah and his family and all these animals are stuck on the ark. There's water all around him. I sure it had to be depressing for him doing all that work stuck on the boat all that time. I'm sure it had to be trouble for him. And each day Noah sent the, the bird out to find some land. He couldn't find anything. There was nothing there. All of a sudden God decided in his own mind, in his own heart, to decrease the water. His judgment had come to an end. And the bird came back with a little olive branch. And God said to Noah, now go out. Replenish the earth and multiply. 
When Noah came off the ark, the Bible says he took all the clean animals and he made a burnt offering to God. He gave God thanks for God delivering him and his family from a terrible situation. The Bible says that God heard that prayer of Noah. He says a sweet smell savior came up to heaven and God said, I will no longer destroy the earth like I did this time. All because Noah fell down and worshipped the king of kings and lord of lords. Altars were built as a commemoration of an encounter with God. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7, God called Abraham. He says, leave your land, leave it all behind, and go to a place that I'm going to show you. And I will bless you and I will help you in this place. Abraham left the area. And maybe he thought it was going to be a great, fantastic, fun time, but he had a little bit of trouble. And during his trouble, God appeared to him. He says, you see all this land? I will give it to you and your children. And through you, all the nations of the Lord world will be blessed. And the Bible says that Abraham built right there, God, an altar. Remember the promise that God made to him that through him, all the families of the world would be blessed. In Exodus chapter 17, verses 14 and 15. It was, the altar was built for a memorial, what God has done in one's life. Moses and the children of Israel getting ready to go to the promised land. They come across the Amalekites, a mean, nasty people, and they couldn't win the war. So Moses went up on a mountain. He took the elders on the mountain. And as Moses lifted his hands, the Bible says the children of Israel defeated the Amalekites. But whenever he let his hands down because he was tired and it was too much for him, the Bible says the Amalekites was winning the war. So Joshua and the men around him came up and they lifted up the arms of Moses. And as long as those arms were lifted up, the children of Israel won. And they finally defeated the Amalekites. And Moses built an altar there. And he called the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. The Lord fights for us. The Lord leads us. The Lord guides us. The Lord takes care of us. The Lord is merciful to us. The Lord is our banner and we will worship him here as a memorial for what he's done in our lives. Exodus chapter 21, verses 13 and 14, the law of murder. The law was if a guy or a woman committed murder maliciously, he'd done it on purpose, he had the intent to do it. When he came to the altar, God said, I will not receive your sacrifice. You've done that which is evil in my eyes. I'm not going to accept it or receive it. Back in those days, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that man or that woman must die for maliciously murdering somebody else. But if one was in an accident and killed somebody, he was allowed to run to the altar, give his sacrifice, and he would hold on to the horns of the altar, and God would say, you go to another place. You go to a city of refuge that I have established, and you wait there until the magistrates and the leaders decide the judgment on your life. They build altars to find refuge. Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8. Altars were built to make a covenant. Moses goes into the mountain and he starts to chisel the commandments on a rock. And God says, you bring the people right to this point, but they're not allowed in my presence because no one can see my glory. So the people come and they stay and they see the cloud and they see what's going on. God covenants with the people. Moses and the people accept the covenant of God. 
Moses made a sacrifice and the blood was spilled on the altar. And God said, this is the covenant that I make with you. And the people said, we will obey your covenant. We will do what you want us to do. And so they walked as one, as the people of God. Most importantly, though, the altar served as a place of repentance to God and also reconciliation with your fellow man. If you had done your fellow man wrong, maybe your tree fell on top of his house. And you didn't want to pay for it because it really wasn't your fault that God decided to drop the tree on that dude's house. God says you're responsible for that. So if you did another man wrong, you were required to make it right with the man. Secondly, they set the altar in its place. Now the King James Version says they set the altar on its base. They put the altar right back in the same spot it had been torn down by the enemy nations. It was customary back in those days before the tabernacle was built for men and women to run back to an altar. They would go back to the altar and they would remind themselves, this is where I met with God. This is where God met with me. This is where he was merciful to me. This is where he forgave me. This is where I heard his voice speak to my heart. He knows me. He knows everything about me. I'm going to run right back to the spot where I met God. Those coming back home when they built the altar, they wanted to be right there where God was when they were younger. And they saw the sacrifices and they saw the glory of God. And they wanted to remind God, this is where you met us at. This is where you made your promise to us as your people. This is where we want to meet with you and offer our sacrifice unto you. God, hear our prayer. I wonder this morning, do you have an altar? Do you have a place that you go pray to? You seek the face of God. A closet, car, that you go say, Lord, I need you. I'm pleading my heart to you. I need you to hear my heart. I need you to hear my prayer. I need you to hear my concerns. There are things going on in my life. There are things going on in my family's life. Lord, I need you in my life. And here's the altar and here's where I'm going to pray to you. Do you have a scripture that you remind God of? A favorite scripture? Lord, this is what your word says. I believe your word. I trust your word. I'm here at this altar and I'm seeking the face of God. I have a couple of altars. The first one is the Haebong Chan Christian Servicemen Center in Seoul, South Korea. And it's the ministry to the military. It was there that I was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. It was there that I was trained to do the ministry when the ministers would bring me along and say, come on, we're going to go preach on the street tonight. We're going to go share the gospel. We're going to hand out Bible tracts. Come on, I'm going to teach you how to study your word and read your word. It's at that place that I have a love for. The Christian Servicemen Center Ministry to the Military. I have a love for that. And so sometimes when I'm at the house, usually every Saturday, I take my iPad and my little, I don't know, it's a little booner thing, boon box thing, okay? I go out and I sit in my chair. I got a Gaither music mix. I hit the Gaither music mix and I hear songs like I Thirst, God Touched My Life, God Changed My Life. And it takes me back to that servicemen center that I was lost and undone, Lord. I was unlovable. But, Lord, you loved me. You cared for me. 
Do you remember that day, Lord, when you saved my soul and you changed my life forever? Oh, God, do you remember that I fell in love with you, man? My mind was new. My heart was new. And I listened to those songs over and over and over again to thank him for what he's done. To thank him for changing my life. This is my altar and this is where I want to be to worship you and honor you for what you have done in my life. The second place is Bradenton, Florida. I went to a little Bible college called Werner Southern Bible College in Lake Wells, Florida. Paul Beener was a basketball coach, and he asked three of us to come down to, to play for him. And uh, every four or five years, I get an anchor and I go to Florida. I save up a bunch of money. I work overtime. I don't care how much it costs me. I'm going to go to Florida, specifically Bradenton and the Lake Wells. And it's where I met my wife. Now, I wasn't right in those days. And, you know, every good non-Christian, when he's searching out a girl, he ain't searching for love or marriage. My heart wasn't right. But it's where God sent me a wife. It's where I found love. I mean, love is supposed to be not corrupt, nasty, disgusting love. But God's love working through a man and a woman. And so me and Amy will go home and she'll say, it ain't like it was, Brian. We go to one of the schools all torn down and little bench where we used to sit and talk all night long. Or we used to go swim in the lake. It's not there anymore, but I don't care. I go to that place and said, this is where I met you. We go to a Hungry Howie's pizza place. I, never, I couldn't stand pizza. I didn't even know what pizza was. We went to Hungry Howie's. I go to where the Hungry Howie's is at because that's where I met her. She bought me a Big Mac meal. I was broke. Didn't have a dime to my name. She bought me a Big Mac meal. Bring it to me. All the places that I was with her at, that's where I wanted to be. Because that's where God granted me my wife and love. So sometimes I'll sit at the house and I'll listen to some Christian duets. Sandy Patty, Larnell Harris. And his duets remind me that that's the music she liked to listen to uh, at her house. Her, they had a radio station. They listened to 93 or something all day and all night. The same Christian radio station and back then. I couldn't stand it, but I listened to those songs. All those songs reminded me of her. Love. And I thank God when I'm doing that. Thank God. Thank you for putting her in my life. Thank you for for allowing her to put up with all the mess I put her through through the years. It's time to move, Amy. Where are we going to live? I don't know. God's called me to go back to, to the United States. Where are we going to live? Don't know. Don't care. Where are you going to work? Don't know. Don't care. How are you going to make money? I don't know and I don't care. I just know he called me. I know he called me. Well, you think I want to go back? You're nuts. There's no security in following you. Oh, I'm sorry. But she went, she done it, and I'm so thankful. My two altars are right there, both in thanksgiving to God for what he's done in my life.
and for his love, mercy, and kindness. And thirdly, the Bible says in Ezra, they began to make burnt offerings as commanded by Moses, the man of God. What were some of these offerings the children of Israel made? First, there was a sin offering against God. Then there was a guilt offering if you'd done a man or woman wrong. Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 6. Leviticus chapter 1, there was burnt offerings, which mean complete dedication and surrender to God. That's what Noah did when he came off the ark. He committed his life and surrendered his life completely to God. Leviticus chapter 2, there was a grain or meal offering given to God in thankfulness. It was God who provided the families their food, their water. It was God who gave them land. It was God who gave them crops. It was God who gave them money. And so these people would come to God and say, Lord, you've been good to me this year. You've been good to me this day. I give you the best that I have to offer in thankfulness to you and what you've done for me and my family. Leviticus chapter 7, verses 11 through 21, there was a fellowship or peace offering symbolizing fellowship and peace with God. And this is always cut and gone through by shed blood. There had to be shed blood in this offering. Most importantly, the altar served as a place of repentance for one to get in a right relationship with God as an individual. And once a year, the nation had to come and repent before God as a nation. The children of Israel was required to go to Jerusalem three times a year to make sacrifice. And one of year was for the Day of Atonement when the priests sacrificed for all the people of God at one time. The altar, the offerings... All of its requirements and the role of the priest. See, if this was the altar, the, the guy coming would lay the, the gift down. The priest would be on the other side to accept the gift. A man, a sinful man accepting the gift from another sinful man. But all these things were made to bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful man. All of this was fulfilled in one moment in time. In the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, he's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13 says the heathen man, the lost man, they will not bow to him voluntarily, but they will have to bow to him because he's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he's the Lamb without spot or blemish. Peter says, listen. You're not uh, redeemed with vain things like gold and silver and all these kinds of cows and things like that. He says, you've been redeemed by the precious Lamb of God without spot, without blemish. He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. He stands between God and man. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 through 28, He's the high priest. He called him after the order of Melchizedek. That means he has no beginning and no end. The high priests, they died. Every year, every 10 years, every 20 years, whenever it was their time, the men would die. High priests would die and they would go on and you would have to sacrifice to another man. But this man, the king of kings and lord of lords, he never dies. He's always at the right hand of God making intercession for the saint. Jesus never sinned. He never done any wrong. He is the only one that can stand between God and man. Christ done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He freed us from our old way of life. That old man is dead, buried, and gone, Romans chapter 6. It's over with. 
He's freed you from that way. He's given you a new mind. He's given you a new heart. He's given you a new attitude. He's given you a no walk. He has freed you from your old way of life. And I hope you're grateful for that this morning. That he's freed you from that mess. Along with that mess, he's freed you from guilt and condemnation. I'd have to say that most believers, Christians, think about all the things you've done wrong. That you wish you would have done different. And you would want to make amends. Maybe some people you can't make amends with. Maybe they've they've passed on. Moved to another state. Those things weigh on a man's heart and on a man's mind bad and deep. And God says through his son Jesus, he's freed us from that guilt. And he's freed us from that kind of condemnation. Then he's freed us to live in this new way of life. There's nothing like serving Jesus. There's nothing like following Jesus. There's nothing like loving Jesus. He makes life complete. I ain't say he made life perfect. It's all messed up. It gets jimmied up. Your families get jimmied up. Your kids do things that you wish they wouldn't do because you did the things that uh, you, your mom and dad wished you wouldn't do. They get jimmied up. Things happen in life, man. But still in my heart, I'm complete. Because I know the Lord Jesus Christ, he has to have it under control. This is his promise. This is his covenant. This is his word. So I'm free to live my life for him. I'm free to honor him. I'm free to worship him. In our call to worship this morning... The scripture says what sacrifice you and I can make to a holy God. Hebrews 13 and 15. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. From the rising of the sun the psalmist says to the going down of the same the Lord's name is to be praised. When you get up in the morning and you're feeling really good in your body and you know you can walk two miles, you're supposed to give him praise. When you wake up in the morning and I tell my wife, turn me to the right just a little bit, pick up one arm because the knee ain't working and the back ain't working, and just push me out the door, you're supposed to give him praise. When you're working, the work day's going really good and you're slap happy, you're supposed to give him praise. When you go to work and everything's going wrong, nothing's happening right, everybody's in your stuff about everything, you're supposed to give him praise. When you're getting along with your spouse real good, you're supposed to give him praise. When you're not getting along with your spouse real good, you're supposed to give him praise. When it's going good, you're supposed to give him praise. When it's going bad, you're supposed to give him praise. And everything that we say and everything that we do, we should be giving him praise for what he has done in our lives. If that's the sacrifice we can make to him continually, the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name, what can I present to God? What can I bring to the altar of God? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, 
But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It's always been the will of God for man to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's been his command from the beginning. Love me with everything you got. Love me with everything you have. Love me. That's his command. Present yourself to him. How can we do that? I'm going to ask you this morning, corporately as a body of Christ, make this house your altar. For one hour, for one hour, from 1030 to 1130. Now I'm a long-winded preacher. I'm not like your last one. I'll, I preach a long time sometimes. So, I, But hopefully for an hour. You can't give him one hour of your full attention, one hour of your full love, one hour of your full body. One hour. Come into the house of God and give him the praise that's through his name. And then present yourself. What can I do to help the church? What can I do to help the kingdom of God? What can I sacrifice in this body to help this church move and fulfill the will of God in our lives? For one hour. Let's make this our altar. Let's make this our home. And let's worship him. And let's give him glory and let's give him honor. He is worthy of it. And then as you're doing that in the house of God, it's going to carry over. The brethren way is to live as a light, as an example. Not so much to go out and say, hey, you're lost and undone without Jesus. You need to be saved. That's not the brethren way necessarily. That's the Pentecostal way. But there is no way in the kingdom. God don't define us by brethren, Pentecostal, Matthew. He don't do that. He defines us by what's in our heart and who we are and how much we love him. That's what he cares about. So I'm asking you for one hour a day. When we come in, let's give him the glory and the honor and do his name. Let's do it as a community of believers. And as a way to start this morning, I would ask the deacons to come. We have one who wants anointed with oil. So if you would come, I would like to anoint you with oil this morning. The deacons would come. Now I'm not sure what the tradition is if you have all the people who want to pray or not. I don't know how you do it, Mr. Shockey, but we, uh, Bruce wants to be anointed this morning for healing in his body. Okay. Those women, would you just reach your hands this way and just, just pray in unison as a body of believers for Bruce's healing is in your shoulder. Your legs and feet. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning in Jesus' name. You said if there's any sick among you to call for the elders of the church, and that's what we've done today. We ask for healing in his legs and in his feet, God, right now in Jesus' name. You're the ultimate healer. We ask you to hear this prayer, God, and to honor this prayer, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. We give you thanks and glory and honor, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Anybody else want to anoint it? All right, would you all stand with us this morning, Mr. Shockey? Thank you all for being here. Let's make, it, let's make this our altar of sacrifice. Let's give to God every Sunday morning that we're here or wherever we're going to meet at the glory that's due his name. Amen.